This is Machine Language, the podcast hosted by Manufacturing Automation Magazine. You've tuned in to hear conversations with industry experts on the latest industrial automation technologies and trends in Canada's manufacturing sector. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Machine Language. I'm your host, Christina Urquhart, editor of Manufacturing Automation Magazine. The COVID-19 crisis has exposed many things about innovation in the Canadian manufacturing industry, but we want to talk about two things in particular with today's episode. One is that we have a great deal of innovation here. That was evident by the quick pivoting manufacturers and their supporting industries did to produce PPE, as well as by the inventive solutions that they came up with for sanitizing work cells, optimizing face shield comfort, tracking symptoms, and more. The second thing the pandemic has told us about innovation in Canada is that we're still not doing enough of it. In a May article about the impact of COVID-19 on innovation published by the Canadian press, experts point to Canada's tendency to rely on importing products and technology from offshore while primarily exporting natural resources. It's not a great model for when there's a global shortage of goods or supply chain issues like there were earlier this year. While the government needs to be the one to drive true change to this model with financial support directed at specific outcomes, there are a number of things industry can do too, including developing partnerships for collaboration with academia, research institutions, and other technology partners. For this remote interview, I'm pleased to welcome Michelle Kretchen, Director of the Centre for Advanced Manufacturing and Design Technologies at Sheridan College, which connects SMEs with manufacturing partners and students to advance industry projects. Michelle is passionate about the commercialization of innovation and public engagement in science. She is an active participant in the innovation commercialization ecosystem and, before joining Sheridan College, worked at the Xerox Research Centre of Canada in a variety of research-related roles. Michelle has led scientists and engineers working on material science and, alongside her team, tackled challenges such as developing new materials and processes for 3D printing and printed hybrid and flexible electronics. Michelle holds a PhD from the University of Ottawa for work in photochemistry and photophysics, has published nearly two dozen scientific papers in peer-reviewed journals, and holds 75 U.S. patents on novel materials and marking technologies. Today, she's here to talk to us about innovation in automation and how post-secondary institutions can play a valuable role in ideating, testing, and developing new manufacturing projects. Stay tuned for a number of Michelle's helpful tips on establishing partnerships and why they are essential to the long-term competitiveness of your business. Thank you for joining us today, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me, Christina. Can you tell our listeners about the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Design Technologies and the research areas that you have available to industry? Sure. So the Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Design Technologies, it's a bit of a mouthful, so we usually refer to it as CAMDIT, is one of the applied research centers at Sheridan College. We're really a technology hub where students and researchers, faculty and industry can come together to learn, explore, collaborate and innovate. We have a number of different areas across the broad spectrum of advanced manufacturing that we have expertise in, including Digital fabrication, which includes additive manufacturing, of course, and we have capabilities, a whole bunch of different types of plastic additive manufacturing and also metal. We do quite a bit in the area of simulation and modeling. We also have expertise and advanced equipment in robotics and automation. And our last kind of core area of specialization that really goes underneath all of those other areas is in design. And of course, I'll say that we are always learning and growing and expanding as the industry changes and and innovation moves. So we're also starting new projects in cybersecurity, 
for industrial control systems and looking more and more at the different types of technology that are becoming important in manufacturing. So some of that technology has been really important over the last few months during the pandemic. And I know that the center mobilized to produce some innovative COVID-19 solutions. Can you talk about some of those projects? We were really lucky as a research center to be able to pivot from what we would normally do to, to doing things that would be helpful and have an impact at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, a couple of the things that we did, initially we worked on um, filling the gap in personal protective equipment or PPE. So I'm sure your listeners will have heard a lot about that at the beginning and how there was really a shortage and it was becoming quite an urgent situation for frontline healthcare workers in hospitals and nursing homes. So we worked um, with a team at the University of Toronto, the Toronto Emergency Device Accelerator. We worked with them um, and in collaboration with frontline healthcare workers at a number of hospitals to design a face shield that could be rapidly manufactured using the materials that we had available to us at the time. So when there was a large shortage of PPE there, also that was followed up by a, a big supply chain crunch for all of the typical materials that you would use to produce those various types of PPE. We were lucky to work with our own designers and the great design team at UT to come up with a foldable design. So it wasn't 3D printed, but it actually relied on um, laser jet or water jet cutting to produce a flat design that was then folded and still met all of the requirements for use in hospitals. And Camden alone distributed thousands of those face shields to our local hospital partners and long-term care facilities. And as a result, actually, of doing that project and, and talking about it on our social media channels, Coca-Cola approached us. They had been thinking about what they could do to support small businesses in their reopening. This is a few months into, uh, into the pandemic. So they saw what we were doing um, around PPE, and they approached us to work on a project to fabricate point-of-sale shields for small business to enable them to open up more safely. To their credit, they were really thinking about what small and independent businesses might have trouble um, getting access to versus some of the larger, more corporate chains. And so we faced again a, a challenge in terms of supply chain. Normally you would go to the market, purchase some acrylic, quarter-inch acrylic, and fabricate some shields, but quarter-inch acrylic, incredibly short supply. And so our team came up with a design that leveraged other materials that were more easily available in order to produce these shields. And working with Coke and, and their distributor, Coke Bottling, we were able to manufacture and distribute over 200 of those point-of-sale shields to small businesses across Ontario. That actually led to a follow-on project with Coke Bottling, the distributor, um, to produce some PPE for Food Banks Canada. And so more than 500 face shields were manufactured for Food Banks Canada and distributed across the country as well. So we felt very lucky to be able to play a helpful role. I think one of the big challenges through all of all of this has been a feeling of impotence and not knowing how you can help. So we felt really blessed to be able to participate in those projects. So Camdit is always working on uh, new developments with industry or alongside industry outside of the pandemic as well. And I understand that you're working on a smart air filtration system. Can you tell us about that project? Uh, you said it exactly correctly. We work alongside industry to support them and in their innovation needs and projects. And so this is a project with a local startup called Clean Air AI, and they had an idea to develop a product for smart home or building automation that basically to take your traditional air filter to the next level. So they equipped the air filter with sensors that would be able to connect to building automation systems or provide feedback to homeowners through an app 
um, so that they would be able to understand the performance of their air filters. It seems maybe not so exciting on the face of it, but in fact, reduced air filtration is a huge issue and there really isn't a good solution on the market right now. So they were really fitting a niche there in the development of that project and they, they did quite well in terms of raising funds and getting their business going. And then when COVID hit, they had the, this idea, since they were already monitoring airflow in buildings and had built you know, the infrastructure around that, they wanted to try to integrate disinfection as well into their air filtration unit. So they came to us and we are working with them right now to incorporate UV light disinfection unit into their smart air filter. So UV light is one of the known ways that you can deactivate the virus and lots of people are kind of working in that space. And so that's another um, way that we're able to kind of support and help small businesses. They also try to pivot to innovate in uh, in times of global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a way that you can continue to give back to find other solutions. Really amazing, actually. Canada has an incredibly innovative spirit. And if there's one silver lining to this pandemic is I think the light is shining a little bit more on those parts of our economy than it usually does. Mm-hmm. So what capabilities does Camdit have when it comes to working with artificial intelligence? So at Camden, we are really fortunate to have access to hundreds of highly qualified faculty and their students across the Faculty of Applied Science and Technology at Sheridan. So if our core team doesn't have the expertise, we work with faculty experts who lead projects and supervise students in a variety of different spaces. So our faculty typically have advanced degrees and in most cases have come to us after careers in industry. So They really are at the cutting edge and at the forefront of a variety of different technologies, including artificial intelligence. Our most recent project that that involved a product that leverages artificial intelligence um, was with a company called Tunify, who had created an automated guitar tuner. Now, in, in this case, the artificial intelligence was developed by the technical team at the company, and they came to us for support in the design and optimization, as well as prototyping of their automated guitar tuner product. So that's an example of where two different technology pieces are kind of coming together under one roof. But I think the theme for Camdit in terms of artificial intelligence, machine learning, cybersecurity, is that we sit in the privileged place of being able to access those skill sets across the college and bring them together with students in order to do projects across a really broad range of technology. Some of those technologies include automation and advanced robotics. What's a recent robotics project that you have worked on? So automation and advanced robotics really, I think, were the bread and butter of of Camdit for a very long time. We have really amazing expertise in that space and good partnerships with robotics suppliers and integrators um, and excellent uh, faculty and staff. So it's hard to pick one because we've done a lot of really cool projects in that space, but one that we recently wrapped up was with a company called Rex Power Magnetics. So this project is a good example of one that was led by one of our faculty members, Professor Andy Alibay. And Rex Power Magnetics manufactures transformers. So one of the steps in transformer manufacturing is creating the core, which if you can imagine, is a stack of very thin silicon steel laminations that are stacked in a particular pattern in order to create that core. So when that's a manual process, it's very labor-intensive, time-consuming, and it also is a point that can introduce quality issues. 
And it can often be a consideration from a health and safety perspective because those thin steel laminations are quite sharp. So Andy and his team of students working at Camdet were able to create a dual vision-guided robotic system in order to do the steel stacking to automate the manufacture of the transformer core. So they had two robotic arms, each equipped with a vision system that were connected in, in a feedback. They designed kind of custom end of arm tooling in order to grasp and effectively manipulate the thin steel laminations. And then they did all of the programming in order to have those two robotic arms work together in concert to do the lamination stacking and fabricate the core. So at the end, we had a system that was built in the lab that replicated process that was happening on the floor, the manufacturing floor at Rex Power Magnetics. And we were able to help Rex understand what would be required in order to implement a solution like that on their site. And we also were able to kind of de-risk that exploration for them. So instead of them having to invest capital in purchasing robotics, invest time in programming, and more time in uh, you know the inevitable pitfalls that come with exploring a new process, by partnering with us, we were able to take that on in our lab and come to, um, to a solution and provide them with a lot of information and feedback about whether this is something they want to invest in. When they do choose to invest, they'll be able to get operational much quicker because of the background work that was done as part of this project. I mean, you've talked about the access to collaboration on the, the school level. Um, I know Sheridan College and Camdet are members of the Southern Ontario Network for Advanced Manufacturing Innovation, which is also called Sonami. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about collaboration on that higher level. How does Sonami work with industry? Yeah, so Sonami is a network of colleges and uh, one university institute that work with SMEs um, on applied research projects. The goal of Tsunami is to increase the capacity of the advanced manufacturing research and innovation ecosystem in Southern Ontario. So our network is funded by FedDev Ontario and provides a really excellent value to SMEs who are looking to stretch their innovation dollar. Tsunami partners work with companies to explore new products, new processes, and to de-risk technology adoption. So the project I just talked about is a really good example of the type of projects that the Tsunami team supports. So, of course, Camdit has the expertise and technologies that I talked to you about at the beginning, but across the whole network, there's a much broader array of expertise that you can tap into. So by forming this network, we were trying to create kind of a one-stop shop for SMEs looking for partners in innovation and also access to funding. So what has Tsunami been doing to help manufacturers over the past seven months or so in response to COVID-19? So the funding that's available through Tsunami is, is as I alluded to, it's a, really, it's a really excellent value for manufacturers in terms of the, of the match to their investment. But in, in the case of, of the pandemic, our funder approached us early on. So FedDev Ontario came to the network with the opportunity to engage in projects that would support local communities by working with non-traditional partners. So typically we work directly with manufacturing SMEs. But in this case, our funder kind of opened the floodgates and said, you know, work with whichever community partners need the help. So in the case of, uh, of many of us, that was working with, uh, with hospital partners in order to help them get the PPE they need. It also looked like helping with ventilator manufacturer in some cases as well. And then as I was talking about earlier, in the case of clean air, it also provided enhanced funding for companies who were working on product development. 
that was aimed at um, supporting or alleviating uh, the conditions of the pandemic. So really, the network in and of itself is always a great place to go and is, is actually really flexible in terms of the type of, uh, of technical and innovation support they can provide. But what FedDev did at the, at the start of the pandemic in terms of just making it even easier for colleges and our one university partner to work with companies and community partners to make a difference and to help was really pretty amazing. Mm. So, I mean, why, why would you say it is beneficial for industry to partner with these types of incubators and the larger academic world to ideate manufacturing concepts? I feel really passionately about, about partnership and the value of, of partnership and that one plus one usually equals more than two. So I have a couple of reasons that, that, I, that I think it's a great idea. So one is I talk to manufacturers every day. <laughs> And one of the things I hear most in terms of discussing what their barriers are to growth is access to talent. So one of the top reasons to partner with an academic institution is access to a pipeline of highly trained, work-ready potential employees. Making connections with programs and students while they're in school means they're more likely to choose you as a company after they graduate. Building relationships with schools can also help to address another one of my favorite topics, which is diversity in fields like manufacturing. So partnering with an academic institution and building relationships with students and faculty at what might seem like an early point um, can really help to address the underrepresentation of certain populations in manufacturing and broaden the talent pool. So I think that's, I lead with that one, even though I think it's probably the one that people don't think about the most. The other reason you know, I think we've been talking about it a little bit already, is just access to cutting edge equipment and expertise with zero capital investment. So across Canada, there are millions of feet of research space and hundreds of millions of dollars of specialized equipment and facilities that are there. And so if you're not reaching out in partnership to take advantage of that, you're really missing out. So I think that's another really important reason to partner The final thing I think is just it really is a way to multiply your innovation spend. It's a low risk, low cost way to explore new technologies, kick around new product ideas, and really give yourself a little bit of a playground to think about how to make your business grow or be more efficient, increase productivity, etc. Do you have a few tips, though, for partnering, if, if you'd like me to share? I would. So I think, and this is important because I think many people will have perhaps had a negative experience in partnering with a post-secondary institution um, on applied research. I'm not going to say many, some, some may have. <laughs> and so I have some tips that can, that can help avoid that. So my first tip is to clearly define the goals and objectives of your, and the timelines of your project upfront. So setting and communicating realistic expectations right at the beginning is so important to the success of any collaboration. Um, And I think especially when you're bringing together industry and academia, that becomes even more important. My other tip is to discuss intellectual property and the plan for knowledge transfer upfront as well. So get that out of the way at the beginning so that there aren't any questions kind of down the road that can lead to, to complications and, and kind of a lack of satisfaction. I think the good news is that across Canada, most colleges have and polytechnics have extremely favorable IP policies that really favor the industry partner. At Camden and with our partners in Tsunami, 
we want our partners to commercialize their intellectual property. We have a goal of having a positive impact on economic growth. And so, you know, we want to support that. And so our IP policies reflect that in many cases. The last, uh, not the last tip, but close to last is choose the right project. So a project that's on your critical path and has a very tight and near-term timeline is not necessarily a good project to choose for a collaboration with, a, with an academic institution. Um, and alongside that is choose the right partner. So choose a partner um, that you can communicate well with, that seems to understand your vision. And I know it sounds a little bit like I'm giving relationship advice, but, uh, but I guess uh, in all relationships, the same things apply. So the right project and the right partner can make a big difference. And my last tip is just communicate, communicate, communicate. All of our projects at Camden have a communication plan up front, and I think it's really important because everyone is so busy, it's easy for that to fall by the wayside, but clear and, and ongoing communication really is a ticket to success in, mm. uh, in any collaborative endeavor. Oh, I agree. Do you think that that last point about everybody being so busy or having maybe uh, high expectations and, and not communicating enough, do you think that's why companies maybe don't go the route of partnering with an academic institution or why they may have had a troubled experience in the past, like you had mentioned before? So I, I myself come from industry and joined the academic sector a little less than three years ago. So I, I have seen firsthand the differences, but I've also seen the benefits <laughs> that can be found when the two can come together. So spending a little bit of time up front in setting up a communication plan, really clearly defining your goals and projects and making sure that everyone is on the same page can really produce some amazing results. It's worth it. <laughs> So if, you know, if a manufacturer does want to go about connecting, how do they uh, go about approaching the post-secondary institution? Yeah, so there's a bunch of different ways. I think that I'll go through some of them. So certainly in Ontario and likely across Canada, if you look up research or innovation at your local college or polytechnic, that's a good department to start with in terms of connecting to, to someone who might be able to, to partner with you or have the type of capabilities or equipment that you're looking for. In Ontario, of course, I recommend going to tsunamiontario.ca, um, <laughs> where you can get a, a one-stop entry into all of the partners in that network. And then other options that I would suggest are to connect with your local IRAP representative. Um, they're usually well aware of the innovation ecosystem in your geography and can help make those types of connections. Networks and consortia like EMC, the Excellence in Manufacturing Consortium, can also help make connections. And one last tip, I guess, in, in the pan-Canadian context, Tech Access Canada is a great place to go to find which colleges and polytechnics have technology access centers, which are federally funded centers for applied research, specifically for industry and, uh, and SMEs. Those colleges have centers who know how to do business with industry, and, uh, and it cover, they cover a wide variety. So many of them have expertise and specialties in advanced manufacturing. And I think in uh, certainly in Ontario, OCE, the Ontario Centers of Excellence, have business development specialists who also do a great job of matching up industry needs with what is available at our post-secondary institutions. So those are a few tips that I would, that I would recommend to try to connect with post-secondary institutions who might be able to help. So just to kind of bring it all together here and close off, you talked about the talent that is available in post-secondary institutions and also the industry at large. 
Canada's manufacturing industry has that talent. They have the knowledge to compete globally, but we're often criticized or we're intra-criticizing ourselves maybe for being uh, slow moving when it comes to innovation and adopting new technologies, moving to industry 4.0, that kind of thing. On a broader scale, how does innovation impact business objectives for manufacturers? I have a whole bunch of answers to that, but I think the one that that resonates most in the times that we're living in is that I like to think of innovation as a bit of insulation. So a company with an innovative mindset and whose strategy includes ongoing innovation is always better positioned to weather storms. And I know in manufacturing especially, it can feel difficult to justify an investment. But to this, I would say, number one, find a partner. There are myriad ways to multiply your dollar. I don't know that we do a great job in Canada of making those connections, but those opportunities are out there and I think it's worth seeking them out. And I think the other thing I would say is think about the cost of not investing. The return on your innovation investment isn't a simple calculation. So you probably wouldn't go to your accountant for that answer. <laughs> but I do think that the that, that return on investment is there and it is tangible. So Those are some words that I would certainly leave our manufacturing colleagues with, that it's worth it to reach out, find partners. You can multiply your investment. And frankly, everything we need is is really here. It's It's in Canada. So that is something that I think we are very fortunate to be discovering in a time where we're all sticking a little bit closer to home. Yeah, it's been fantastic to see so many made in Canada innovations coming to the forefront this year. Obviously, they were always there, but the fact that the public has been able to see uh, what we're capable of has been pretty awesome. Couldn't agree more. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you very much for your time today, Michelle. We appreciate you coming on the podcast. It was absolutely my pleasure, Christina. Thanks so much. Thank you, and take care. Thanks again to Michelle Kretchen at Sheridan College's Center for Advanced Manufacturing and Design Technologies. For more information about Camdit, visit sheridancollege.ca. As for us, you can find more episodes of Machine Language online at automationmag.com podcasts, or join the conversation on Twitter at automationmag and on LinkedIn by searching Manufacturing Automation. I'm Christina Urquhart, and that's it for today's episode of Machine Language. Thanks for tuning in.